0: At this time, the children can be released to Children's Church, which they'll find through this door on the left side of the sanctuary at the front. And uh, that's for children kindergarten through second grade. And also the Children's Choir is uh, being released at this time to go and rehearse. You know, my wife and I lived over in East Africa for about 12 years. And uh, one of the things that happened to us when we lived over there is we were just encountered with a different rhythm of life. Uh, We'd be going through the the regular, you know, months and and weeks and everything, and all of a sudden, there's a holiday. You know, you go to the store and nobody's there and everything's shut down and you find out, well, what is it? It's Jamhuri Day. Well, what's a Jamhuri anyway? Uh, Well, it's the day of, you know, honoring the republic in Kenya or it's Liberation Day, you know, celebrating when Idi Amin was overthrown or something like this. But what I couldn't figure out is why they didn't celebrate the 4th of July, you know, and why they didn't remember Mother's Day. And uh, so, you know, after 12 years of this, I, you know, I kind of uh, forgot about Mother's Day. You know, it just, it just wasn't on my, my radar screen. And you come back here and, you know, you always get the ads and the reminders and these sorts of things. They're very, very helpful. Uh, LAUGHTER My wife appreciates the fact that I sometimes remember that, and my mother appreciates it, too. So, um, uh, you know, we have a sermon topic. We're just in a series going through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we come along today to uh, a topic which seems to have very little to do with motherhood. It's the topic of Judas and his betrayal. And uh, so let me first say something about motherhood, and then we'll... We'll, we'll turn to our text. So I, I think that motherhood is one of the most wonderful things. Uh, it just brings unparalleled uh, blessing to humanity and glory to God. So by all means, if you have the opportunity to thank your mother today, do so. Uh, now we'll turn to Luke chapter 22. And uh, we're in the first six verses. If you have one of those pew Bibles, uh, you can find that on page 1043. So Luke 22 and the first six verses. I will read the scripture and we'll open with prayer. So the word of God says, Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you'll give us wisdom through your word, that you will visit with us, that you'll speak with us. Father, that our hearts will be soft, that our hearts will be open, that our hearts will be ready, and that our lives will respond and reflect for your glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, what we come to here in this little paragraph is a turning point in the Gospel of Luke. Up to this point, the fortunes of Jesus and his disciples have been ascending. They've been doing better and better. They've been getting more popularity. There's been conflict, but there's been more popularity, more interest. And now Jesus has come to this phase where he's entered Jerusalem, being acclaimed as the coming king, and he has begun to take over the temple. Uh, If you look at those verses at the end of the previous chapter, chapter 21, verses 37 and 38, it gives the background what was happening day by day. Each day Jesus was teaching in the temple And each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, just about a mile away across the valley. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. So Jesus had a following in the temple. And uh, this was not pleasing to the people who were the authorities of the temple, the leaders of the temple. Because their fortunes, it seemed, were going downhill all the time. They were in a precarious situation. They were in a corner. Because the people were, were following this new teacher. And there was a risk that this new teacher was going to bring reprisal from Rome. That he was going to start talking sedition. That these crowds, you know, which were always full of people who wanted to try to rebel against Roman authority, were going to start doing something. Here it's the Passover There are people from all over Israel who are gathered in Jerusalem at this time. It's like a, a big pile of dry tinder, and Jesus is the spark. And these temple leaders have a vested interest in keeping things as they are, keeping things safe. And so their fortunes are at a low point. And in this one paragraph, there's a reversal of fortunes. And... Jesus and his disciples, from this point on, are, are under a doom. And uh, the, the temple leaders, are now they now have the upper hand. And so, uh, the, the, the reversal of fortunes follows a reversal of heart. A trusted disciple turns the wrong way. And the fortunes of Christ's cause are turned around backwards. So what I want us to look at here, I I think that what we can see is that Luke is trying to give us some explanation of, of something behind what Judas is doing. He's trying to help us look and see what it is that moves Judas and to understand Judas. So he gives some explanation and he opens the veil to let us see that it's a spiritual reality that's taking place. And so uh, Luke gives us a look at, at Judas's spirit, and then a look at Judas's mind, a look at Judas's feelings, his desires, his heart, and then a look at Judas's commitment. So we're just going to look at the betrayer and uh, examine him and look at the different levels in his betrayal and, and see this person and see what happened, what went wrong. How did he come to be this way and to do this terrible thing of becoming the betrayer of the Savior? And as we look at it, what I want to challenge you with is that you should not be a Judas. And if you are a Judas, to turn back. So first, we look at uh, Judas's spirit, the spirit of Judas. So just look with me in verse 3. And it simply says, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. If we could have uh, been with Jesus and his disciples at this time, we would have heard a lot of teachings that were challenging and disturbing. And very, ju- very recently now, in the last chapter of Luke, Jesus has been teaching about the fall and destruction of Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is to be overthrown that armies will gather around. And uh, this was not a pleasing, uh, gratifying thing for the disciples to hear, no doubt. And so Judas must have heard this and thought, what? Jesus has no patriotism. The other Gospels point to another event coming just before this this betrayal. And it's the time when Jesus is anointed with a, a... a a perfume that's so costly it was worth a year's salary. And he just puts up with this and he enjoys it. He says it's a wonderful thing that this woman is doing. You know, spending a year, putting, you know, all this perfume on me that's worth so much money. And uh, Judas must be saying, has this man no social conscience? And uh, besides, uh, Judas might have liked to have seen that money, some of that money go into the purse which he carried for the disciples. So Judas is being confronted with doubts, doubts about Jesus. And the doubts are mounting up in his mind and the moment comes when, his, when there's a change. There's a change in Judas's heart and uh, his tension is relieved, his doubts are solved and he sees the way ahead. It isn't to follow Jesus anymore, it is to betray him. Satan has entered into Judas. And so his his, uh, doubts are solved. He has got a new direction to go. Satan seeks to take the place of Christ in your soul. Satan looks for one thing, and that is for himself to have the place of God. And in his interaction with you, he wants to have the place of God in your soul, in your heart. And so Satan acts, Satan does something. And um, you know, this is a little bit hard for us to understand. The Bible pictures people as being subject to the work of spirits, to the influence of spirits. And uh, as modern people, we, we, we don't quite have a category for that. How can a spirit be influencing me? I'm myself, I make my decisions, I don't see spirits. Uh, I don't hear their voices. If somebody does hear their voices, we usually think there's something uh, you know, abnormal, something wrong with that person. Uh, and I don't think Judas necessarily heard any voice of Satan. But there is a spiritual influence, and this is the way that the Bible consistently talks about people. And what it's doing is it's saying that there are two levels of explanation. You can explain people on the personal level, on the level of thinking and feeling, the level at which we normally live and interact with people. You can explain people at this level of human interaction and human life. But that explanation doesn't cover everything. It leaves some gaps. And so um, you know, there, there can be something else like a spiritual level of explanation. Now we're, modern people are used to this idea of two levels of explanation of people and people's behavior. We understand that people are biochemical machines, that if you look at a human body and you analyze it, you find that it's all a bunch of chemicals and that the enzymes are interacting with each other and all these processes are taking place by natural, chemical, and physical laws in the human body and that the mind itself is just a whole lot of chemicals interacting with each other. And so you can reduce what the human being is to a whole lot of chemicals interacting with each other according to the rules in the textbook, the rules of chemistry and the rules of physics. But that doesn't give a full account of humanity. So we accept that yet at one level, you can explain people as being chemical, but that doesn't explain people. And if all you have is the explanation of people as as being chemistry and chemicals and biochemistry and biology, then you haven't yet understood people. And so we understand that there are levels of explanation. Somehow these two explanations can fit together. Nobody is consistent in saying that all we are is chemicals. All we are is machines and just atoms bouncing around randomly. But we we understand that people have love, that people know truth, that people know right and wrong, that they're moral agents. And these things are not chemicals. These are realities about people. And so we're used to this idea of, of levels of explanation. You know, someone has a chemical imbalance, and yet we understand that it's a person. They're not just chemistry. And so in the same way, we have two levels of explanation here that the Bible sees. One level where there's, there are spirits interacting with our spirits that can influence us. And so I want to challenge you today that there are spiritual forces that might impinge on your life, that might influence your mind, that might get involved in you in an unseen level of your being and uh, influence your, the very springs of your soul, the very... Uh, fount of where your personality comes from. And uh, that's indeed what happens here with Judas, that Satan enters into him. If you would uh, put a place mark there in Luke chapter 22, I wanted us to look at another passage, because this, this is a complicated idea, and I just wanted us to look at an example of how these two levels of explanation work. So if you'll flip over to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, You'll find that on page 1172, um, 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verses 9 through 12. There are two levels of explanation. People can be understood at the spiritual level, but just because there are spirits that work in me doesn't mean that I don't make choices or that I'm not responsible or that the spirits are just doing these things and I don't have any choice in the matter. No. Both levels of explanation hold together and the way that they fit together is very mysterious and hard to understand. And look what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, speaking of the way that the devil works in people's lives, the way that spiritual influences come into people's lives in the end times. So 2 Thessalonians 2, starting with verse 9, going through verse 12, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. The, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So this is something similar to what's happening with Judas. The people make their choice according to what they desire. It's it's operating at the level of the person. They decide. They determine. They have responsibility. They make decisions. But there's another level at work underneath. There's a spiritual level that is also at work. And so Satan is deceiving, and then God is handing them over to this deception of Satan. And there's a spiritual level, which also is an explanation. And how these two fit together remains a mystery. But the Bible doesn't hesitate to say that there are two levels at which we can understand human life. The level of the spiritual influences and the level of the regular human uh, responsibility and experience and life. So two levels of understanding. So here's, here's Judas. He is uh, he is being infiltrated. He's being influenced by Satan. And so what does Satan do? Satan deceives. Satan deceives. From the very beginning in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, Satan comes to the woman in the garden and he deceives her. He wants to take the place of God in, in God's creation, so he deceives the woman. He begins to lie to her. And this is what uh, Jesus, uh, this is what at the end of the ages uh, Satan will again do. He will go out into the, in, among the nations and deceive the nations and gather them for war. Uh, that's in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 8. Again, in the book of Acts, uh, Luke writes about a couple of trusted disciples, Ananias and Sapphira, whom Satan deceives and leads astray so that they try to fool people. Uh, with 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 their impressive uh, financial gifts to the church. So Satan deceives, Satan leads astray, Satan tries to take the place of Christ in our hearts and to fill us. So what's filling your heart? Is Satan at work in your heart today? This is the challenge for us, and as we go through these these following. Uh, passages, uh, these following verses in our paragraph. We're going to look at the ways that this work of Satan begins to be evident in people's lives. And we want to look at ourselves and examine ourselves. Am I a Judas? Am Am I betraying Christ? Am I being led astray? Has Satan entered into me? Is Satan entering into me? Jesus says you must remain in me and I remain in you, a vine has branches, the branches need the vine. And so we need to remain in Christ and get our life from Christ through a spiritual connection with Christ that the influence of Christ, the spiritual influence, can continue to sustain spiritual life in us. That if we're cut off from Christ, we have no spiritual life. Um, Galatians 5.16 says we must walk in the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of of the sinful nature. And so we need to be filled with the spirit. And this and when we're filled up with with the spirit, then Satan doesn't have a place in our lives. So this is the spirit of Jesus. Satan has entered in and has taken over and has made a change. Satan has acted and this is what has brought about the change of fortunes. So we've looked at the spirit of Judas and now we go to the next level, the result of this spiritual change in Judas, this entering of Satan, Satan coming in to do his work. And the next level is the mind of Judas. What happens in Judas's thinking? So the thinking of Judas, the mind of Judas. So what we see is that Judas... If we, could, if we could be with him that day, we could follow him you know, through the marketplace. He's carrying his money bag. Maybe he's going to buy something. Maybe he's on some errand for the Lord. And uh, he's walking this way and that way. And then he makes a turn. And he goes in somewhere. We follow behind him. Where is he going? And here in the room are the leaders of the temple. And Judas has come in to meet with them. What is on his mind? Does he think he can trust these people? but he's entering into some kind of collusion with them. And uh, does he think that these, uh, what they're called the, the leaders of the temple guard, does he think that this, this police force of the temple has enough power to stand against Jesus? Does he think that he can fool Jesus by making a plot behind his back so that Jesus doesn't know about it? Does he think that if Jesus is separated from his crowds, that Jesus won't have his support? That Jesus needs crowds to protect him. Maybe, you know, we, we, we just aren't really given all the details that that we might like about what goes through Judas's mind. Maybe he's thinking that Jesus is not uh, being aggressive enough as king. And that Jesus needs a challenge. Maybe he thinks somehow if he can just stir up these temple leaders and get Jesus arrested, that Jesus is gonna is gonna react and We just don't know. If that's the case, still, Judas doesn't trust Jesus. He trusts something else. And this is the trademark, this is the sign, the signal of Satan's work in our minds that we mistrust God, we mistrust the Savior, we mistrust the Word of God, and we begin to trust other things. So that's what takes place in our thinking. We begin to think that power resides elsewhere, that safety resides in someone else's hands besides the hands of Christ, besides God's hands. And so uh, Satan is mistrusting Jesus. And uh, this is always the work of Satan in, in people's minds. He influences minds to mistrust Christ. And so it was with Eve. When Satan came to Eve in the garden, he told her, you surely will not die if you take this fruit. God had said you will surely die. Satan says you will surely not die. And so he brings small thoughts of God, that God can't be trusted, that God's word is not sure. And uh, Satan says to her that... um, If you eat it, God knows that you will become like God. So that God is sort of something just like us, that I can sort of become like God. You know, God is kind of down on my level, down on my size. Small thoughts of God and a lack of trust in God. So these are the marks of the thinking that Satan brings in people's minds. Satan brings sort of a spiritual numbness in our thinking so that we, we can't uh, perceive the glory of Christ. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Let me just read that to you. Satan brings a spiritual numbing to our intellect, a spiritual influence that numbs our minds so that we can't perceive the realities of the spiritual glories of Christ. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so the other day I had a, a, a little uh, uh, you know, skin thing cut off. I went to the doctor and he put a needle into my skin to inject the Novocaine and that hurt and I, and I jumped. But then when he actually cut with his scalpel, I didn't feel it at all. Satan sticks his needle in and he begins to anesthetize our minds so that when the good news of the gospel comes to us, we don't perceive it. We're numbed. Our minds are somehow blinded by the God of this age. Your mind is the hilltop near the battleground. Your mind is the high ground in the whole battle. And both sides appeal to your mind God speaks to your mind through his word, and he speaks truth. And Satan speaks to your mind lies. And so the contest and the whole battleground is for that high ground of your mind, which has the vantage point of the whole whole field. Because the thoughts of your mind are going to influence the feelings that you experience in your emotions. So where... Has your mind been lately? Are you moved by great thoughts of Christ? Are you you moved with the, the sense of the power of Christ? As you hear his word, as you read his word, are you impressed with the glory of Christ, his greatness? Are you drawn to him? Do you find that Satan's needles have entered in? that you're, you're, you're becoming immune, you're becoming numbed to the glory of Christ. There's a remedy. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And Paul says there in Philippians 4, 8 and 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Focus our minds on the truth of Christ, and God will make that light shine through. The very numbness will begin to fade away, and Satan's devices will be brought to nothing. So, at the spiritual level, Satan—Satan Satan first has been entered into. Uh, Satan has entered into Judas, and so there's been a spiritual influence on Judas. And then secondly, this spiritual influence has brought about a mental change, that he has small thoughts of God. And now thirdly, this mental change and the spiritual influence begin to work on Judas' desires. And so the emotions of Judas, his emotional life. And this is where we live. This is, this is the life that we, you know, the, the experience that we have day to day. We live in the emotional level. Yeah, I know a lot of us, you know, we think a lot of thoughts, But we feel emotions about our thoughts. And it's the emotions which is where we have the love, where we have the hate, the fear, the courage, the tenacity, the perseverance, the laziness. It's all in the emotional level of life. And so here we look at the emotional level of Judas in verse 5. And uh, it's very short, simple, to the point. They were delighted. Jesus has, Judas has now come to these uh, temple leaders and he's offered to betray Jesus into their hands. And they were dejected, they were downcast, but now they're delighted. They were delighted and they offered to give him money. And so they've, given, they've offered Judas the very thing that he desires. Judas somehow has fallen prey to a worldly desire, the desire for money and for what money can get. And so the habits of, of weeks or years, who knows how long, Judas has been dipping into the purse, taking a little bit of money, as John tells us in, in John chapter 12, verse 6. Those habits of dipping in, taking a little money now and then, satisfying his own desires, those habits have built up and they have opened a door and Satan has exploited it to his advantage. And now the whole battlefield has been taken over the high ground has been lost the field has been overrun and uh, Judas's life is now the playground of Satan Satan has free reign in his life so these desires become very powerful and irresistible and that money becomes so interesting how much money was it it was enough to be interesting Luke tells us, Matthew tells us that that money was enough to buy a piece of property around Jerusalem. That's an interesting amount of money. That's an attractive uh, piece of money to have. So Judas is betrayed by his desires. So Satan always tempts with worldly things. When he tempted Jesus in the desert, he tempted him with bread. Turned the stones to bread when Jesus was hungry. When, uh, when he wanted to tempt Jesus further, he took him to a, to a very high place and he showed him splendor and glory and riches and authority. And he said, I will give you all of this. Worldly temptations, I will give you all of this if you will bow down and worship me. And uh, so that appeal of ambition, of pleasure, of things, that, that is the, uh, the currency that Satan uses To drag us away. Satan's goal is control. Hear the words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. And he speaks to people uh, who he says have become children of the devil. Because they don't follow God the Father, but rather they follow the Father of lies. And they don't imitate God as a child imitates his father, but rather they imitate Satan in their actions. And so he says, though, they, though everybody is a creation of God and by rights ought to be a child of God, he says they've become children of the devil. Uh, John chapter 8 and verse 44. Uh, I'll start with verse, t- verse 43. Jesus says, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So they have begun to imitate the works of their father. He was a murderer, <clears throat> and now they're trying murder Christ. And so here is Satan uh, uh, at work in Judas, and Judas is beginning to follow the works of Satan and to fulfill the plans and purposes of Satan to carry out his intents. Satan is gaining control. So who has the control in your heart? At the spiritual level, if you could see it, and we can't just see it, we can't just look at it, So it's a question that takes a lot of diagnosis, a lot of examining to try and figure out an answer. It isn't easy to see, but in some of us it's very easy to see. Who's in control? What is the spiritual influence at the root of your being, at the springs of your soul? Is Satan feeding off of it, or is God giving you life? Love not the world, but cultivate worship. And this is our antidote to Satan. The the desires of worldly things come in, they crowd in, and they, they want to take over everything. But let your heart be thrilled with God. Worship him. Worship God alone. Love him. Adore him. Recognize his greatness. So let your mind be filled with his word. Let your mind come to recognize the glory of Christ and let your heart rejoice and And be filled with thanks because of God's goodness. This is the remedy. This is the safety. This is what keeps us protected from from the the control of the evil one. So we've seen uh, the progressive levels of Satan's control over Judas. He's making a spiritual influence. It's influencing his mind. And then his emotions, Judas's emotions, his desires are taken over. And last of all, Judas's commitment. Judas commits himself. He shakes hands. He makes a pledge. He agrees with, with the proposal of the temple leaders. Here's what it says in verse 6. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So Judas is... Uh, He's coming back to the disciples. He's with them now. He's smiling, his usual smile. He's making the small talk. He's talking about the important things. He's engaging in the conversation, but all the time he's spying. He's watching for an opportunity. He's asking a question here and there about what are we going to do? What's happening next? So his heart is far away. He acts like he's close. He's one right there looking like he fits in with everybody. But he's hiding a terrible secret in his heart. How terrible, how miserable to be there with your friends whom you ought to love and you're hiding something in your heart that you have to be so ashamed of, that you have to guard so carefully. And you have to talk, double talk and have two stories about things. And so this is Judas's lot because Satan has entered into him. So he's watching. Jesus had just finished talking about how we need to watch and guard against the world and guard against our laziness and our fleshliness and guard against spiritual influences. And here is Judas watching and guarding how he might capture Jesus and how he might uh, find Jesus in his uh, weak moment. Satan seeks to fasten our commitment to his purposes. Satan seeks our commitment. He isn't content just to have our desires going all over the place and to have us going along uh, you know, like a dog following the cookie, wherever, wherever the cookie takes us. But he wants us committed volitionally to his purposes, to give our hearts to it. And that's where Judas finally ends up, that he has uh, given himself to it. So even when Jesus gives a warning... And Jesus says here in Luke chapter 22, and look in verse 21, uh, just the next page. uh, Jesus gives a warning about the betrayer and how terrible it is for the betrayer. But Judas doesn't catch it. He doesn't respond. His heart has become hard. And so Jesus says, the hand of the betrayer, the hand of him who is going to betray." That's uh, verse 21, "Is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves, which of them it might be? Who would do this? So the warning Jesus gives, it falls on deaf ears. Judas's heart is hard. He has committed himself. He has been taken captive, and he can't get away hear these words about Satan taking people captive from Second Timothy. Satan desires to possess, to hold people captive to do his will, to have them so committed to him that they can't turn back, that even when they receive direct warnings from God's word, they can't hear it, they can't respond, they have to just follow so, uh, here are the words from 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 24. 2 Timothy two twenty-four. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses, and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Satan leads people captive to do his will. But there's hope. There's hope for one who has been led captive to do Satan's will. Through the gentle instruction of God's word, the faithful uh, proclamation of the truth, as the truth comes into our minds and our hearts, there is yet hope that God will work in us yet and bring us back. So Satan has captives even today. He's always had captives, uh, some great, some small, some outstanding, some ordinary. Listen to these words from, from the Apostle John in, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. People who, who have become followers and servants of Satan. And where do we find them? Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Oh, this is exciting. The last hour is here. Antichrists have already appeared. They've already come. Where do you think we should look to find them? Where would we see these Antichrists? Next verse. They went out from us. What? The Antichrists came from the New Testament church? The Antichrists came from the early church? They were in the fellowship of the believers? They came out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So the false... The false brothers, the antichrist, those who have become captives of Satan, they, they're they right in the church. They're right in the fellowship. They're the false teachers. They become all the terrible things. But they start out just like you and me. And we can't tell the difference. And even it's hard to tell the difference about yourself. So we need to take a serious warning. Are you held captive? Is there a secret power that pulls you away from Christ? Is there a power at work behind the scenes in your life? If the veil could be pulled back, what would would you see? What would people see? Do you have a mind that is immune to the Savior's promises, to his love, to his rebukes? Do you have a heart that is captured by uh, the the, worldly worldly desires? Do the, do the worldly attractions loom large in your heart? And have you committed yourself against God's word and devoted yourself to oppose his purposes and his plans? Turn back now. Well, I want to say just a couple of things to you. If, uh, If you are surrounded by people, or you find that there is a person in the position of power in the church—you know, maybe a pastor or an elder—someone who creates tremendous upheaval and disturbance and turns about the fortunes of the church because his heart has turned. What do you do? What do we do in that day when everything is reversed, everything turns upside down? I, uh, uh, Cindy's uncle was. Uh, serving in a church where uh, it turned out that the pastor was having some kind of affair. It was a very seedy, tawdry sort of thing. And the church is divided and everyone's confused and where there was peace, now there's discord and disharmony. What do you do? Don't fear. God is still in control. In this day when Judas came and he turned everything around, turned everything upside down, Jesus was still in control. God was still sovereign. And God's plan was still carried out. So don't don't lose heart. Jesus went as it was foretold. uh, And the betrayal was overruled. The result was love, mercy, and forgiveness and redemption. And if your heart is held captive, here are some words from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ to encourage you. Don't fear there's there is a remedy for you. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Hang on to Jesus' promise. You have authority in Jesus' name to resist the devil. As James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And second, pray for the Spirit. Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 11. Pray for the Spirit. Ask God. You are a Spirit. God is a Spirit. Address Him. Ask Him to have a spiritual influence on your life. This is what He promises to do. Look at Luke 11, verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So ask God to work in you by his Holy Spirit, and he will answer your prayer. If you haven't come to Christ, you're in danger. There are spiritual influences at work. And the Word of God says that if you don't gather with Christ, then you scatter. And you're in the realm of Satan if you're not in the realm of Christ. Come to Christ. His blood brings forgiveness for all sins. There's no one whose sins are too dark or who's committed himself to too evil of a a way. There's no one who has engaged in too many terrible things that the Christ's blood won't wash him clean. All sins against the Son of Man will be forgiven through faith in Christ and in his blood. Close with Christ. Put your faith in him. Come to him today. Let's bow in prayer. So, Father, we ask that you speak to our hearts today, that you encourage us, that you remind us of your presence. And, Father, we pray for those who sense the encroachment of Satan somewhere in the background, somewhere unseen, where people can't detect it, where people can't feel it, but where the results can be seen in daily life. We pray for someone here today, for many of us perhaps, who are experiencing that work of Satan in our hearts. We thank you that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world that your promises override everything Satan tries to do, that you have called us to yourself where there's safety, where there's security, that you are good, that you are true, that you never fail those who come to you. Oh, bring us to yourself by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.